God is good all the time. Amen? Amen. It's wonderful to welcome you to First Church this morning and uh, brave a little bit of weather, but this is Michigan and we know that's about to happen one, one point or another. But uh, glad to see you all here with us this morning and uh, trust that uh, you have come today to acknowledge God's goodness and his wonderful love and grace for each of us today. We celebrate that on the second Sunday of Advent and delighted to welcome you. If you are a guest with us today, take a moment. On the extreme right-hand uh, panel of the worship folder, there's a guest connection card. I think it's on the back side this time. Look at that over, complete it, place it in the offering a little bit later in the service for us. We, we want to acknowledge your visit with us. Following the worship service, take a second. Uh, there's coffee and uh, refreshments out in the gathering area. And walk a little bit further all the way to the Heritage Room, and we have a gift for you in that location. So uh, take a moment this morning, join with us, and we would appreciate that time of fellowship with you today. It's good to be in God's house, especially in Advent season, isn't it? To lift up uh, the songs of Christmas, the carols that we enjoy so much singing, and it's a joy to be a part of uh, this congregation and to worship our Heavenly Father and the Son He's given to us this special season of the year. Take a moment, if you've not already done so, and look at the announcements and news lines. Many things taking place, uh, deadlines and opportunities for ministry. Uh, it seems like for whatever reason it might be, there's a lot of needs right now for volunteers to do a variety of things. Uh, in the worship folder today listed oh, probably half a dozen things where we're needing volunteers in the life of our church family, different areas of ministry. Look those over carefully. I think attached to each one is a name or a phone number. Encourage you, even in the busyness of this season, to see how you might be able to respond to those needs. We invite you to do that sincerely today. Uh, those are legitimate, uh, real needs that we have. Please take a moment, look them over, and I encourage you to respond uh, appropriately to those today. We're privileged today to uh, be a part of uh, God's family together. Let's take a moment. I'm going to have you stand and greet one another. Uh, well, join your heart this Advent season. Stand and greet one another if you would, please. Good morning. How are you doing? Good seeing you. Those warm hugs feel good on a cold, wintry day, don't they? It's good to be a part of God's family and to celebrate uh, each other's presence with us today. We have a special privilege today. Usually in Advent time, at some point, one of the Advent Sundays, we take uh, opportunity to do a child and parent dedication. And I think it's such an appropriate time to do that as we consider the Christ child's coming and we lift up the importance of that. So I'm going to invite a couple families to join with me here this morning. Babies are so special to us. They remind us of the hope that God places in, into us as his people. Uh, a chance to touch the life of a child today, knowing that that's going to impact that child and that family into the future. What a privilege we have as a church family to be able to celebrate and to participate together today in this time of dedication. I'm going to invite those parents to come forward. Matt and Jamie are, Balkan are bringing Josie. And also Amanda Kirby is bringing Anthony along with grandparents. Gay and Gaila, or Gay and Guy. I'll just put it out here. Come down, Guy. Come up here and join me. I trust as they come today that we'll be praying for them not only this morning, but in the days that lie ahead as they go through the process of parenting. Some of us have been there and know what's involved with that. Uh, for some cases, these are new first-time children, I think for both families. And uh, so uh, we won't tell them what's in store. Uh, but we will uh, allow them to discover that and be a part of this journey uh, and encouragement with them. As parents and as grandparents today, we have come in faith and love to this special time of dedication. A time when we acknowledge the preciousness of these two little children, to realize our importance in raising them and the trust that we have in God to be a part of that. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6. These words I command you this day, shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and your daughters. You shall walk with them and tell them about these words. When you walk with them and sit down in the house, and you walk on the wayside of the streets, and when you lie down in the evenings, and when you rise up in the morning. These are the commandments of the Lord, that we should diligently rear our children in our faith and to trust God. The precedent for this dedication time is found several places throughout Scripture. 
we're reminded of Samuel's presentation by Hannah, his mother, in the Old Testament, and the presentation of Jesus at his dedication in the temple by Joseph and Mary. And also Paul reminds Timothy that from his very early days as his childhood, he began to know the sacred scriptures and his family taught them diligently to him. And Jesus considers these little ones infinitely precious when he writes these words to us. Let the children come to me. Do not stop them because God's kingdom belongs to people who are like these little children. Listen to me, Jesus says. Whoever does not receive God's kingdom like a child will never enter into it. This morning, this is really a time for parent and child dedication. You're dedicating your little ones to God this morning, but you're also dedicating yourselves as parents and grandparents as instruments to be used by God in raising your children. Matt and Jamie, Amanda, Kai and Gayla, as parents and grandparents, if it's your intention today to raise your child in the discipline and instruction in the Lord, I invite you to respond by saying we do to these questions. Do you recognize your child as a gift from God, created by him, and entrusted to your care and keeping? We do. Do you dedicate Josie and Anthony today to the Lord and accept the responsibilities that are yours in raising your child to maturity? We do. Do you pledge to nurture your children in the teaching and the training of the Lord? We do. And now do you dedicate yourselves as a strong Christian family to seek God's guidance and his help in raising your child? We do. I'm going to ask Pastor Dave to come join me up here, and he's going to take one of these precious little ones. And I get Josie. <laughs> I don't know what to do with little girls. <laughs> we dedicate these two precious children to the Lord today and ask that uh, we as a congregation will support them uh, as we provide opportunities for parenting and for education for these kids. I invite you as a congregation, if you support these families today, to join with me as we have a prayer of dedication. Let us pray together. Lord God, we come today before you. This time of dedication for Josie and Anthony. Father, we just lift them up before you and acknowledge the gift that they are to us and to this family. Lord, bless them today. Encourage them and strengthen them. May they sense your presence and your love surrounding them in your grace. Lord, we pray for these two little children. May they have the blessing of you, Father, today in their lives. And may they have a healthy mind and spirit and body. Give them strength as they grow and mature. And as they journey through this life, Father, be with these parents. Give them wisdom and guidance, patience and love and discipline as they raise their children in the faith of Jesus Christ. Lord God, today we dedicate them to you. We dedicate these parents to be models and examples to their children and to teach them about God, you, Father, and to help them to come to the point in their lives where these two precious ones will be drawn to Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, we pray these things in Christ's name today. And together we say, Amen. Yeah, Lord bless you. Got <laughs> ahead there. Lord bless you, parents, today. We have a couple of gifts for you. Uh, Kay will give those to you as you carefully go down the steps. First of all, rose, a white rose, which uh, reminds us of the child's purity. Uh, a Bible to be read to them as they grow and mature. A dedication certificate and a letter from me. And I've made a duplicate copy of that, one for you and one for them, to be given to them on their 10th uh, birthday as we re reflect upon this day as we've had together. May the Lord bless you, families, and uh, know of our love and our support for you. May the Lord bless you. you may be seated. Mary visits Elizabeth, her relative, and upon hearing Mary's voice, the child that Elizabeth was carrying leapt in her womb. Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's plans for her life must have been much different than all of this. She could have probably never imagined the turn her life would take. 
She just wanted a quiet, normal life. But God had other plans. If anyone had a right to be bitter, Mary certainly did. Instead, she chose to look beyond her own feelings to get a glimpse of what God had planned. But what about us? Today, we find ourselves living in bitterness on a daily basis. We have been hurt by people, betrayed, ignored, beaten down, and the list could go on and on. And in our minds, we have the right to be bitter. But Jesus came so that the mercy of God could cover everyone. That means that we have been forgiven, covered in his blood, given the gift of a savior, and no one is exempt from his mercy, his grace, or his forgiveness. So we are called to forgive as Christ forgave. We are called to look beyond ourselves, as Mary did, to get a glimpse of the ultimate plan of God. And in the light of his plan, our hurt seems to be less important. Today, as we light this candle, let us remember that he came so that we could experience freedom from bitterness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the reality of what was just sung about. Father, we thank you that today we can experience that perfect love through the person of Jesus Christ. And as we come getting close to this Christmas time of year, we celebrate the birth of your son. God, thank you that that love that you had for us makes all the difference. Father, as we think about the needs of, in our lives and the lives of this great congregation, we pray that you would hear us as we lift those needs to you. Father, people that need to touch you and feel your love today, that need a, a touch of healing or need a touch of encouragement, those individuals might be right here in this service. They might be at home. They might be on the other side of war, this world. But we're lifting them up. We pray, Father, again, in the name of your Son, that you would hear our prayers, answer our prayers. Father, we thank you again for what this time of year means, for what you're doing here in this service. We give this time to you. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And as we continue to worship our Lord, a great opportunity to do that is through our giving. We're going to ask our ushers to come down and prepare to wait upon us. And as they do that, uh, just make note, in a couple weeks we're going to be taking our, our Christ's birthday offering. We'll help missions around our world. Just encourage you to continue to give faithfully. Thank you for what you do for this congregation that supports missions all over this world. Thank you. Let's worship him. Just being seated, hopefully as you came in today, you received one of our... Uh, uh, Announcement sheets that uh, uh, brochures that tell us about some of the things going on in life of the church. Let me encourage you to take that out as we uh, get started. And as uh, Pastor Confer alluded to, there are just a number of opportunities for us to really get involved both in the life of this church and in our community. You see uh, even community opportunities. Salvation Army Bell Ringer, what a great community opportunity to get involved. I encourage you to, as we think about Christmas, that time of year when we're giving, uh, not just to give gifts, but uh, in a material way, but to give a gift of yourself. Um, another, th a couple things that you could add to this list would, uh, would put out to you. And you can see many of those that are listed on the back of that, uh, of that uh, connection card. Another a couple of things, though, want to direct your attention to. Uh, in our 11:15 hour, which uh, we have a lot of uh, folks that uh, are new to First Church that are coming to those services, and a lot of those uh, that are coming have young children. And we have a need in our 11:15 hour for people to help work with our twos, two-year-olds and three-year-olds. So if you really want to give it, get a blessing, uh, there's a great opportunity. So you could see Tess, she's right down front, or you could call Sue Jennings here at the church. A great opportunities for you to get involved. The other thing I would say to you in the way of a place that you can get involved that really isn't too painful uh, would be we still need to open up some space in, uh, in both this service and our 1115 service. And so if you could make a transition to come to the 9 o'clock hour in worship in the, in the, uh, back in the fellowship hall, that would be a great, uh, a great blessing to us as well as we try to open up opportunities for more people to come to Christ and hear the great truth of the gospel. Well, take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. 
Uh, and as you're turning there, let me just thank you for just being an awesome church that has a heart. Again, you look at the, the, what's going on in the life of this church and in our community. Like yesterday, we met with uh, leadership, staff, and our advisory council, and we talked about how we can really uh, put into practice this idea of being missional that we've uh, been talking about. And we're working to, uh, to, to launch that effort. It'll be exciting in this coming year. So God is at work. So be encouraged uh, as you're a part of a, of a great church. Well, it's Christmas time, and you're, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 30, uh, starting verse 30, uh, as you turn there. Uh, it's Christmas time, and one of, the, of course, the, the things that uh, uh, we are doing, probably a lot of us, is out Christmas shopping. Does anybody have all of their shopping done? Buddy? Okay. A couple of you overachievers. Very nice. You might uh, give some advice to the rest of us. Uh, that's great. I'm proud of you. Uh, there's some really hot gifts this Christmas. Um, for you, uh, if you're shopping for a guy, maybe you have a husband or, uh, or whatever, one that I was looking on a website said one of the hottest gifts this Christmas season for men is a GPS, a global positioning device. <laughs> yeah, and, th- and that's because, you know, we, we never want to stop for directions. So is that not cool that we can have a, that, that little thing that tells us uh, how to, you know, we'd never be lost. We never have to stop. It's, it's a win-win for you ladies that think we should be stopping and for you guys that we don't want to stop. It's a, it's a win-win. So that's one of, the, one of the hot gifts this Christmas season. Another one of the hot gifts probably for men this Christmas season is that uh, uh, those HD uh, stereo systems, you know, the big huge ones that are, take up your entire wall, the ones that cost as much as the gross national product of small third world countries, you know those? Uh, those are hot Christmas gifts this, this Christmas for you that may be shopping for the ladies. Uh, I understand that anything that has a lot of diamonds on it, <laughs> my wife tells me, is a good, always a good, uh, good choice, good hot gift. Um, and let me just, you may not get anything spiritually today. Men, let me give you a little bit of advice. You need to write this down. If you don't get anything else, this, 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 is, this will help you today. Uh, if you're married, a hot gift for your wife and I had to learn this hard way. A hot gift for your wife. Are you ready? Never has a cord. Okay? A hot gift for your wife. Never has a cord. So uh, just a little bit of advice. This Chris, we want to be very practical in our help uh, for you. Uh, for you uh, young people, you know, it might be an iPod or an iPhone. It might be the hot gift. If you're, if you're younger and you're looking for that, uh, that video game system, I understand that the Wii is impossible to find almost this Christmas season. It's a hot gift. But still, as we think about the hottest Christmas gift, as we gather in this place today, 2,000 years after God sent his son, Jesus Christ, still the hottest gift of Christmas is Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we should be celebrating today. And that, you know, it's not just, when we get older, what the, one of the things that I've found is, you know, getting gifts is great. But the joy that we find when we're able to get that perfect gift, that gift that someone wants that, uh, they don't expect it. Maybe it's, it's just, maybe, maybe it's something they don't even think that they would ever get. And we are the one that we're going to give that gift to them. And we know that they're going to be so excited about that. There's a lot of joy that's associated when we're the one to give that special gift. Through this series where we're talking about total forgiveness, we understand that Jesus Christ is the hottest Christmas gift still going. But it's not just about what we are getting from God. That's why we're in this series where we're talking about total forgiveness and it's not just what we get from him but the joy that we can find when we in turn give people around us, give our world this gift back, this gift of total forgiveness. As we think about giving that gift of total forgiveness, one of the things that we understand is the reality is sometimes there's obstacles for us giving that gift. Let me read and let's talk briefly this morning about one of those obstacles. It's found in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 30. The scripture says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, 
brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So what we're told there is we're in this passage is talking to us at the end of it about forgiveness and forgiving as we've been forgiven. He says first to get rid of all bitterness. Not just get rid of a good portion of it, not just get rid of some of it. He says to get rid of all bitterness so we can forgive as Christ forgave us. Now, what does it say happens if we don't do that? It says that when we don't do that, It grieves the Holy Spirit of God, as Scripture says. Now, about you, but I really don't want to do anything that grieves the heart of the living God. That just kind of ends poorly for all of us. Uh, I was thinking about uh, my, uh, you know, shopping for Crystal. And uh, early on in our marriage, I thought, you know, it'd be really neat if I could get into being able to buy crystal clothes. You know, she loves clothes. And so uh, this, our, I think it was our first Christmas, I got her this pink sweater, had hearts on it. I thought it was really, uh, you know, I thought it was, looked really, would look really great on her. And uh, I began to notice that uh, she never wore it. And I finally found out, you know, much later that she hated it. And I remember another time that I bought her pajamas and they were too small and it just, it, For me, it always ends poorly when I try to buy clothing for my wife. Okay? Some of you are there. Okay? That always ends poorly. It always ends poorly for us when we do things that grieve the heart of God. Are we on the same page? And the scripture says, get rid of bitterness because it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And so we need to do that. And so what it's saying to us is that bitterness gets in the way of our ability to forgive. Kendall, in that book that I held up to you, that uh, R.T. Kendall, who wrote that book, Total Forgiveness, that we're basing this series on that's in our bookstore, he writes this about bitterness. He says that bitterness holds us hostage from total forgiveness. In describing bitterness, bitterness is this inward condition. If we were to define it, it would be this, this... Excessive desire for vengeance that comes from deep resentment. Resentment would be synonymous probably with with bitterness. Bitterness is that cage that keeps us locked away. Locked away from the freedom that we find when we give the gift of total forgiveness. It's been said that guilt is what we feel when we sin. And that bitterness is what we feel when people sin against us. Bitterness, if we, as we kind of think about it and think about it in our lives, it's something that's kind of tough to see. We can see bitterness very clearly, very easily. When someone else is bitter, we know that, we identify it. We can see the issues that it causes. We see how it hurts them and how it hurts people around them. We can see all of that. But bitterness in our own lives We either think, maybe I can manage that or it's not that big a deal. Or maybe we just totally ignore it and think, well, that's not really bitterness. And so we struggle in our own lives. And if we're struggling maybe today, you know, am I bitter? Am I not? Let me give you a little help, a little test. And that's this. To be able to judge if you're really bitter. And it would be this. Ask yourself this question. Do I remember the details? Do I remember the details? Bitterness has a tendency to cause us to remember the details. We don't remember most conversations with people. But when we're really hurt, hurt enough to become bitter over an issue, a lot of times we remember that conversation. We remember what people said. We remember where we were at. We remember how they said it. We remember their voice inflections. We remember the date. We remember those things. And so if you're struggling with, I don't know if I'm bitter or not, ask yourself the question, well, do I remember the details? Bitterness short-circuits our ability to forgive. There's a great, I think, illustration for us, and we find it in Scripture, and it's probably a story we've not probably heard before. Uh, Maybe we've kind of read over it, and let's just talk about it as a kind of a case study in bitterness, so to speak. The story involves David, who was king at this period in uh, Israel's life. He was king over Israel. 
Things were going pretty well, but then he wakes up one day to his greatest nightmare. His own son, by the name of Absalom, he had several sons, but this, his son Absalom had decided that he wanted to become king, and he didn't want to wait till his dad was dead to take control. And so he wants to become king, and so he gathers forces. He's a, uh, you know, an outgoing kind of individual, he's a handsome guy, and so he is able to talk to people and be able to influence people, and he convinces many people that David's too old or too ineffective or whatever to be king, and that he should be king. And so he gathers this group of people around him and begins to exert influence and even gathers an army around him, and he finally has enough power, he thinks, and so he invades Jerusalem, the capital city, where David and all of his followers were. Well, David, thinking that the pain, the humility of the situation was something that he would rather deal with than to fight and wage a war with his own son, he decides to, in humility, leave Jerusalem before that invasion. And so he is on the run, again, as we see often in David's life. And so he's now on the run from Absalom. Imagine the pain. Imagine the, the, the issues going on in David's life as he's on the run from Absalom, his own son, who is waging this revolt against him. Absalom invades they seize control of Jerusalem. And now Absalom is now faced with a decision. Now what do I need to do next? What do I need to do to consolidate power? What do I need to do to really squash my dad and his followers so that I can be king? What's the next steps? And so, of course, what anybody would do in that situation, he goes to some of his trusted advisors and asks them the question, what should I do next? And we see that he asks for the advice of a guy, and this is probably the one that you've not heard of, a guy by the name of Ahithophel. And we find that in 2 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to be in that part of the Old Testament. We're going to kind of camp out the rest of our time in 2 Samuel 16. We're looking at chapter 17, some too. But in chapter 16, verse 23, it says this about Ahithophel. This is his resume. It says this. Now, in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. So Ahithophel is kind of the E.F. Hutton of his day. When he speaks, everybody listens. David listens. Absalom listens. His advice is like hearing from God himself. And so Absalom goes to him and says, okay, what do I need to do next in order to consolidate power, in order to really win this fight this civil war. And so Ahithophel gives him advice of how or what the next step should be. And we find it in chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. And let me read you Ahithophel's very disturbing and very graphic advice on what he should do. And he says this, Absalom says to Ahithophel, give us your advice. What should we do? Ahithophel answered, Lie with your father's concubines. And remember, concubines were like wives. Lie with your father's, and he had many, David did, had many. Lie with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench in your father's nostrils. And the place and the hands of everyone you have with you will be strengthened. And so they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he lay with his father's concubines in the sight of of all of Israel. And so what he tells us, what he tells, Ahithophel tells Absalom, he gives him advice that if Absalom follows it, would really burn the bridges behind him. It would probably make reconciliation between Absalom and his dad David the king probably impossible. And that's exactly what Ahithophel wanted to happen. He wanted to destroy that relationship. He wanted to destroy David. He doesn't just end his advice there. Uh, Absalom follows that advice. And then Ahithophel, in chapter 17, goes on and gives him a little more advice. And he says, now what you need to do is you need to take 12,000 of our best troops, and you need to go right now, while David's on the run, Right now, tonight, you need to go, and you need to go, and you need to destroy David. You need to do it while you got the chance, while he's weak and while he's on the run. 
before he's able to gain power. And Ahithophel gives that advice. Absalom considers it, thinks about it, thinks that's pretty good advice. And so what's going on here? It sounds like Ahithophel has some serious issues with David. And when we think about bitterness, I think there's probably, as we all have come into contact with, there's different, different forms of bitterness. We have people like we see here in Ahithophel that their bitterness is just, it's on the surface. And when there's an opportunity, uh, they jump at the opportunity. We would jump or they would jump at the opportunity to, to let that bitterness just spew out of them. And that's what, when Absalom asked Ahithophel, what should I do? You see the bitterness that just is on the surface. It just explodes. Here's what you should do. Let's destroy him. Here's the, the, the worst possible two things he could think of doing is to absolutely humiliate him and then literally to kill him. And that was the advice that Ahithophel gave. He allows his bitterness to take over. Now, obviously, at some point prior, Ahithophel had been a trusted advisor of David's. Remember that passage that we read where it talked about that David and Absalom looked at him and his advice as extremely valuable. So at some point, possibly Ahithophel might have been bitter, but it was more under the surface more hidden. And we may sit here today and that's the form of bitterness that we have. People don't know that we're bitter. People, we've masked it. We've even maybe hidden it from ourselves for the most part. Because we think, well, you know, I've forgiven or I, you know, I'm past that or, or whatever. And we are even deceiving ourselves. And that bitterness is hidden. But in our most unguarded moments, there still is that residual bitterness that crops up. And in those moments when we let our guard down and we let our heart really express what's really going on, that bitterness is still there. And so what we see in Ahithophel is this bitterness, the form of it that was just right on the surface. Now what was going on that would cause Ahithophel to so hate and so be so bitter against David, this guy that again at one point that David trusted? Well, let's go back and look a little more and do a little Paul Harvey uh, and try to get the rest of the story here and see what's really going on. Why would he want David destroyed? And when we go back into David's earlier life, we remember a couple of things. And one is this, that David obviously had a tremendous fall in his walk. That time when he uh, gave in to lust and temptation and sinned with Bathsheba. We remember that story. We know that David committed adultery, that Bathsheba gets pregnant, that David, to cover up that sin, has Bathsheba's husband murdered, the end result. And so we see this egregious series of sins. And just imagine, if you were Bathsheba's family, how that would make you feel. How would it feel for, uh, for Bathsheba and, and for, for this, this pain that she undoubtedly felt through that horrific series of events, that situation, how that would have, would have hurt you, would have hurt her family? Well, who is Ahithophel? Ahithophel, we remember the scripture says, is one of David's trusted advisors, and we know how hard it is to keep secrets. Things are not different in our day and age than in his. So Ahithophel undoubtedly knew, as one of his most trusted advisors, knew what was going on, knew what had happened to Bathsheba. And to get a little more of the story, let's look at two other passages of Scripture that help us a little bit. One is found in 2 Samuel 11, verse 3, and it says this about Bathsheba, in kind of describing Bathsheba, it says that she was the daughter of Eliam. It's in 2 Samuel 11, verse 3. Notice here at the bottom that Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So that's her dad is Eliam. Notice what 2 Samuel chapter 3, 23, verse 34 says. This is just a list of people later on in, in the 2 Samuel of people that were a part of David's uh, group. And it says that, notice the second one, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel. So for some of you that are a little slow... Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. Now you granddads, imagine 
that Bathsheba is your granddaughter. You would just be waiting for the day that you would make David pay. And that was what Ahithophel, quite possibly what was going on, and why he gave the advice that he gave that Bathsheba, his daughter, had, or his granddaughter had been violated. She had been hurt, and, and here he is, and he's gotten away with it. And, and imagine the bitterness that probably over the course of time had grown and grown and grown until it got to this point where he was so overcome that when the opportunity presents itself, that that bitterness just explodes and he does everything that he can to see that David is destroyed. David is humiliated. Now there's a tragic end to the story. We find it in chapter 17, verse 23. And it says this, that when Ahithophel saw, and because the rest of the story is this, that, that Absalom listens to the advice, not of Ahithophel, but of another guy. And this other guy said, well, I think you should wait. Don't go attack David now. Build, consolidate your power. And then at some later point, then you can, you know, you can try to find David. Well, uh, uh, Absalom takes that advice instead of Ahithophel. And this is the way Ahithophel reacts to that. And when Ahithophel, chapter 17, verse 23, saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, set out for his house in his hometown, put his house in order, and then hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. So the tragic end of the story is him taking his own life. And what we've assumed in the story, we've assumed logically through some of the series of events, and we've kind of put A with B and gotten C, and what we see is that Ahithophel had this wonderful life, was an advisor to the kings, but allows bitterness to so take over his life that at the end, he was so overwhelmed, he felt, that he takes his own life. Ahithophel made a choice to choose between bitterness and forgiveness. And as we think about forgiveness, that great gift of Christmas, we have a choice to make ourselves. Will we choose bitterness or will we choose forgiveness? And there's a price that we see illustrated in this story for bitterness. Let me just point some things out. First, bitterness, the price of bitterness, is that it short-circuits God's forgiveness. Scripture is clear that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. Uh, scripture is clear that we are to get rid of bitterness. We're told not to hold on to it, that when we don't get rid of bitterness, that that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. In short, bitterness and forgiveness cannot coexist in our lives. That same scripture that reminds us to forgive as we have been forgiven is a scripture that reminds us that we need to get rid of the bitterness out of our lives. And let me just boil it down so that we just all get it. That's not unclear. We don't have, to, don't have to read into anything. Let's just make it very clear. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, the words of our Lord himself speaking. And he says this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's great. And then he goes on to say this, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, bitterness short circuits God's forgiveness. Jesus illustrated this way. He told this story. He said there was one time there was this guy and he had, he had, he had this servant that, that owed him all kinds of money, money that in 10 lifetimes he could never repay. And he brings this, this guy in front of him and the guy says, I can't pay this, I can't pay this debt that I owe you. And this, this benevolent guy says, well, you know what? I'm gonna just forgive the whole thing. And the guy leaves and he's all excited. He's been forgiven of this great, again, 10 lifetimes and he could never repay this debt that he owed. And he goes out and he comes across this guy that owed him a few bucks, maybe 20 bucks. And he gets on this guy. Hey, hey, you owe me 20 bucks. You need to pay up. The guy says, I don't have it. 
He says, well, you better get it. And he, he threatens the guy. And these people that had, had saw what, had seen him experience the, this, his debt being canceled, this huge debt being canceled, can't believe that they're watching him try to get this 20 bucks from this guy. And so they go back and tell the first guy. Well, he calls that servant, that servant that was unwilling to forgive the $20 that he had forgiven, he calls him back in. And let's just make a, let's just suffice it to say that the second meeting with the guy didn't go quite as well as the first meeting. And we are that servant. We're that wicked servant that says, thank you, God, for forgiving me totally. Thank you for casting my sins as far as the east is from the west. Thank you that you don't hold any of that against me. And thank you that when I mess up again that you are still there forgiving me. And thank you, thank you, thank you, God. And then we go out in our lives. And when someone does something or has, commits whatever against us, we say, well, you know what? I can't. I, no. You don't deserve it. You've not earned it. I'm not forgiving you. You need to pay up. And when we are unwilling to forgive others, when we have been forgiven, the price of bitterness is short-circuiting God's forgiveness in our life. We look back at that passage in Ephesians, and it says that it grieves the Holy Spirit, that we need to get rid of this bitterness, we need to forgive as we've been forgiven. And we ask ourselves, this, you know, why, you know why, am I, why don't I have peace? Why don't I have joy in my life? Why don't I have some of these things, these fruits of the Spirit that I know that I should have as a follower of Christ? Why don't I have that? Well, maybe you need to go back. We need to go back and do a little gut check when it comes to our bitterness and our forgiveness of others. And maybe there's something in our lives that's keeping the Holy Spirit of God from working in us. And maybe that's why our joy is gone. And maybe that's why our excitement of our walk with Christ is gone because there's something that's short-circuiting God working in us. Secondly, bitterness. The price of bitterness is that it hurts people. Bitterness is not something that can be done in a vacuum. It's not something that is just something that just affects us. We're bitter and so that's, that's the end of the story. No. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 and 16, the same word that's used for bitterness in Ephesians is used here. And as it's talking about bitterness, this is what it says. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness, whether it's bitterness towards God or whether it's bitterness towards people, bitterness is a root that when it gets planted, grows and it doesn't just defile and hurt us. Scripture says it causes trouble and defiles many. Bitterness, just like in Ahithophel's life, did not just affect him, but his bitterness spews out into this relationship that Absalom had with his dad. And so when advice is, is looked for, what does Ahithophel do? He says, do this vile, disgusting thing against your father. And this next piece of advice, go kill him. And can I lead the army? His advice was used to destroy, further destroy that relationship that Absalom had with David. Bitterness is not just something that we experience. It's something that affects others. When we are bitter in relationships, it affects other people in our relationships. When as a parent, we're bitter with, with our spouse, that affects the relationship that we have with our kids. When we're bitter towards a child, it affects other relationships. When we're bitter at work, it affects our coworkers. Bitterness defiles many, Scripture says. It's a cost. And the last cost that we see in Ahithophel's life literally, is that bitterness leads to death. Scripture tells us again that upon news that Absalom is not going to follow his advice, not going to go destroy David, not going to go that night, he's so distraught that he goes home and takes his own life. And so literally, his bitterness, or what we could assume about his bitterness, resulted in his own death. And we look at, we look at the news we hear the stories, we read the newspaper, and we see every day, if not every week, stories of people's lives literally destroyed. And we go back and we see the root. The root was bitterness. Literally, people's lives 
are cut short through bitterness. But most of the time, it's not a literal death, is it? Most of the time, it's, it's more of a figurative death. It's a death that we experience as a result of our bitterness in relationships. Relationships that end up destroying marriages. Relationships or bitterness that ends up destroying relationships that we have with our children or, or, or other people or other friends or, or people at work. All those things. Bitterness ends up killing things if left unchecked. And we see that bitterness even can result in the death of vision. God's vision for our future. God, God has this plan for us, this purpose for us in our lives. And when we can't get past this bitterness, this unforgiveness that we have for people, then we will never realize this plan that God has for us unless we get past this point, unless we get rid of this bitterness. What does the Scripture say? The Spirit of God is not going to be working through us, and so we're not going to, be, going to be able to enjoy the vision, the purpose, the direction, all those wonderful things that God has in store. It is death to God's purposes in our lives when we make the choice for bitterness over forgiveness. Ahithophel, his life ended in tragedy. This advisor to the kings allowed something, a terrible situation, obviously, something. This situation, uh, he cultivated this, this bitterness that he had toward David until it resulted in his own destruction. And today we, like Ahithophel, are given the same choice. The choice for bitterness or forgiveness. And so what will we choose? The neat thing about what God tells us to do in Scripture is that any time God tells us to do something, that if we will make a decision in obedience to do it, that he will help it become a reality by his power. I'm sure that most of you are familiar with the story of Corey Ten Boom. And let me just end with this illustration. Corey Ten Boom uh, lived during the Nazi regime of World War II. Corey Ten Boom lived in Holland. And her and her family housed Jews in Holland, which was, of course, illegal in that Nazi uh, era. She, they were caught and Corrie Ten Boom and her sister, Betsy, were sent to Ravensbrück, a Nazi death camp. The result of being in that uh, Nazi death camp, uh, Corrie Ten Boom, she got out following the war. Betsy, her sister, died in that concentration camp. Years later, it was 1947, Corrie Ten Boom had come back to Germany from Holland and was teaching about forgiveness in this bombed-out, destroyed uh, shell of a nation of, 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 of uh, Germany. Corrie Ten Boom had come back, and she was sharing about the forgiveness that could be given through the person of Jesus Christ. And as she shared that, she shared her favorite metaphor, and that was that our sins, as we talked about, are thrown into this sea of forgetfulness. Everything that we've ever done, and she says, I, can't, I can, can't find it in Scripture anywhere, but she believed that God put a sign out on that sea that said, no fishing allowed, where he threw people's sins. And she, she finished up that message that day, that sharing time. She was down in the front of the, the church, and she noticed a man walking towards her against the crowd that was walking out. This man walking towards her. And this man in this brown overcoat and hat walking towards her. She suddenly sees not that man, but she sees the same man with a different outfit on. She sees him with a blue uh, army uniform of the, of, of the Nazis. And she sees a hat. And she sees not this, this, this regular hat, but she sees that hat with a skull and crossbones in the center of that hat. And she goes back and she sees with vivid imagery this stark, huge cell where uh, women were lined up. And she sees this prison guard and she sees this guy's face because he was a guard at, at Ravensbrook, one of the most cruel guards. And she sees this pile of clothing and she sees this, the, these clothes and shoes where the women had to take off their clothes and as they, are, they walk past this pile, there's this guard standing there and she sees her, her, her gaunt sister standing in front of her in this line with bones sticking through the, her parchment skin. 
And she sees her there in that line and remembers the death of her, of her sister. And here this man walking towards her is that guard and he extends his hand to her and he says, Fraulein, thank you for the message of forgiveness. You mentioned Ravensbrook. I was a guard at Ravensbrook. And since the war, I've uh, come to know Jesus Christ personally and I've experienced the forgiveness that he has given me. Now, Fraulein, thank you for the message. But I need to hear from you. And he holds out his hand to her and says, Will you forgive me? And she wrestles in that moment as that guard is standing there in front of her and she thinks about her, 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 her sister that died in that concentration camp. And she says, God, how can it be so simple for me to extend my hand to this man? How can I just say these words flippantly that I forgive him? I can't do it, God, but I know that I must. And these are her words. She says, I realized that as I stood there with coldness clutching my heart, that forgiveness is not an emotion, that forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And she says, Jesus, forgive me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You must supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and this warm, healing feeling seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes, and she cried, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And for a moment, as we grasped each other's hands, this former guard and former prisoner, I had never known, she writes, God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and I didn't have the power, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you cannot forgive and are bitter over whatever happened whenever. But today, know that forgiveness is not just an emotion, it is an act of the will. And will you today extend your hand and offer forgiveness to that situation, whatever it is, and know that as you do that part, that mechanical part, that the Spirit of God will do the rest. Let's stand this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the forgiveness that you have given us. And God, as we think about that great gift. Father, we understand as we look at the truth of your scripture, there's no way around the absolute truth that apart from our willingness to forgive, that we will never be forgiven. That's what your son said. And so, Father, I pray now that you would help us to experience the forgiven forgiveness that you offer us, the gift that you offer us as we give in turn that gift to others. So Father, I pray that you would bring healing to the bitterness in our hearts, that you this morning, Father, would set us free. For it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.